Good morning. Welcome to the show, uh, all you Heat fans out there. <laughs> uh, I'm not teasing nobody. I'm one, too. Uh, but what an exciting time. Everybody's watching the NBA Finals. Uh, glad to have the Miami Heat in it. Denver's going to be a big, big challenge uh, the, the, to, to overcome. But uh, let's see what they do. Let's see what they do. And like everybody says, you know, if, if, if they hit the three-pointers, they'll win. <laughs> but I guess... I guess that's true for every team, though. So uh, let's let's go heat. Let's go heat. Y'all, welcome to the show. Um, wanted to invite uh, attorney Carlos Moore back on the show. Uh, if you've been watching the news quite a bit, national news, he's been on uh, talking about yet another incident that is, uh, you know, just making us shake our heads out here. So in... Uh, in the Enola, Mississippi, uh, a police officer shot 11-year-old uh, Darian Murray. Uh, this happened on May 20th, 2023. And it happened after a Darian called 911 to report a domestic disturbance. On May 30th, 2023, the family's attorney and immediate past president of the National Bar Association, Carlos Moore, announced a $5 million lawsuit against the city of uh, Indianola, the police chief, and the officer involved in the shooting. Uh, and we've got Carlos on the line today. Carlos, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Good, son. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for your time, man. Listen, before we get started, just let us know, uh, how is Adarian doing? We know he recently got out of the hospital, but but how is he doing? Adarian is a courageous, brave young man. He's coping as best he can as an 11-year-old child uh, that's been shot in the chest. Uh, he spent five days in the hospital, and he still has some pain, still has some problems breathing. But all in all, he is trying to uh, be in good spirits. Uh, he's getting counseling, and he's even trying to encourage his mother to let her know that she, it's not her fault. It's the officer's fault that he was shot. And he did. they did all the right things, calling for help like they were taught. Um, and he ends up getting shot. So, uh, But he's a remarkable young man. He knows that he's blessed to be alive, and he's grateful. So here we are again, Carlos, with just another senseless act, right? Uh, these incidents never get easier. And frankly, everybody has a lot of questions about this particular case. Uh, a lot of us have seen the clips of Adarian and also you and the mother on television. And man, it's it's just simply heartbreaking. H how disturbing is this case to you, not just as an attorney and a judge, but, but as someone who has seen this over and over again? Yeah, just as a black man in America, it's very disturbing. It's probably one of the most egregious things I've seen a witness in my 21 years of legal practice. In this instance, you have somebody who is totally innocent. There was nothing he could have done differently. He did everything right, nothing wrong, and still ends up shot. Usually there's at least one thing you can point to, but in this instance, he did everything his mother asked him to do and everything the cop asked him to do. He came out of the room with his hands up, uh, the posture of surrender, uh, nothing in his hands, and was shot point blank center range in the chest. 
this officer had to have known better. He was a trained officer. He's 61 years of age. He's a veteran officer, a supervisor, a sergeant in that police department. Wow. Just two years ago, he was the best cop in Indianola, and he turns around and ki- almost kills a, an 11-year-old. It's inexplicable. I will, I don't think anyone will ever be able to explain it. And there's nothing we can tell the young boy. He, keep, he keeps asking us, what did he do wrong? Why was he shot? No one can answer that, and we never will be. I mean, it makes no sense at all. Uh, Carlos... This young man is lucky to be alive. I mean, the point at which he was shot, not far from the gun, uh, in the area that he was shot in. I mean, this guy is lucky to be alive. Does does he know that? Yeah, he definitely knows it. And uh, it was very touching when he told Good Morning America uh, and CNN that after he was shot, he lay there. Uh, collapsed in his mother's uh, arm, bleeding from the mouth to the chest, and was singing, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. He started saying prayers and singing and uh, telling his mother what to tell uh, his family and friends as his final uh, thoughts. He wanted to be forgiven for anything he had done wrong, and he was preparing to go meet, meet his maker. I mean, at 11 years old, he knew that he was on his way out of here if God did not intervene, and that's what God did. He intervened, and he spared his life, and he left him, left him here for a purpose. His work is not finished it's far from finished and he knows that he has a great purpose uh, to fulfill and he plans to do it well it's been very interesting watching him communicate um his thoughts at that moment and what he felt like before it happened and certainly now afterwards from somebody up close as you are and have been how has this event uh, just sort of reshaped his future goals you know at one time uh before he got shot, he wanted to be a cop. He respected cops. Uh, that's what he wanted to do for his career once he became a man. But now uh, he definitely does not want to be a cop. He Some days he wants to be a doctor, and the doctors help save his life, but he gives most of the credit to God. And then some days he wants to be a lawyer. So whatever he becomes, he is going to be great, and he's going to do something great. And I do believe, um, you listen to him talk, uh, and he talks about God and faith a lot. It may be a, a higher calling than what we just said, Dr. Law. He may be a preacher one day. You never know, but he's going to help change some things. He wants him and his mother want to help reform policing in this country. They're willing to talk to legislators, congressmen are talking about uh, justice and policing. We need something done because this is, uh, it's asinine. It makes no sense at all. Well, and we understand, right, you and I understand it and a lot of listeners understand that, that, that firearms are still the number one cause of death of children and teens in the United States. And we don't usually get the opportunity to hear what the victim was thinking or how they're doing and what the, and, 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 and their reaction to it, because usually they're dead. Right. So. Yeah. So it's been interesting listening to him talk about this moment. And I wonder, you know, when you as as you have listened to him um, and him communicating that he wanted to be a police officer before this. I mean, he literally idolized police officers, and now that has completely changed for him. And I wonder, you know, when you think about, you know, the police officer, and you said he he was decorated. Um, I can I I've heard from people that the police officer said he thought that that this kid was a man coming out. Is that in your assessment as a lawyer? I know you can't give us too much about your case. But is that even possible? Yeah, I don't think any reasonable officer would have perceived a four foot ten uh, young boy as a man. The uh, alleged assailant was six feet two. 
So there's no way uh, they could have been confused. I mean, and to, and to shoot him in the chest, point blank, in the right, he had to be looking at him. It's not like he shot before he looked at him. To shoot somebody in the chest, you have to look at and appreciate who they are. So he knew and perceived that this was a child and still shot him in the chest. I just don't know how he, how he, how he could be this reckless uh, and do this. And, and you called it, you're calling it reckless. And I'm just wondering, in, has he articulated anything about, you know, I, I did hear him say he mistaken him for a man, but 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 you still have to mistake him for a man with a gun, right? I mean, you still have to be, your life needs to be threatened as a police officer to do that. Am I wrong about that? You, you hit the nail on the head. And he had three opportunities to know that the person did not have a gun. When the child, when Adarian called, the cops called dispatch, he told the dispatcher there was no gun. Uh, when the grandmother called, she said there was no gun. And when the Kayla Murray, the mother, went out the front door, um, and she told him that the seller was running out the back door, he did not have a gun. So those were three opportunities for the officer to know there is no gun. Your life is not in jeopardy. Nobody's life is in jeopardy. Uh, he's not a threat to anybody. So why are you uh, disafraid and, and uh, trigger happy? We don't understand it at all. Well, we should tell listeners that that the police officer has been suspended. The Mississippi Bureau of Investigation is currently investigating the case. Right. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your five million dollar lawsuit, though, that you filed. Uh, And what is what 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 would be justice to this family moving forward? Yep. So the lawsuit is based on constitutional violations of Adarian's fourth and 14th Amendment rights were violated. He had, or he had a Fourth Amendment right to be free of excessive force and a Fourteenth Amendment right to due process, and he was granted neither of those uh, by Greg Capers. And so that's the premise for the lawsuit. We're also suing under state law and common law for civil assault and battery and intentional affliction of emotional distress and all those other torts. Um, but we do believe the city had prior notice that this was a bad actor, that he utilized excessive force on one of my other clients just in December of last year. He paid that man while he was in handcuffs, which is a clear... Uh, cut case of excessive force and there's been numerous other people that have come forward and told me this man has been a bad actor and that Indianola has just allowed him to fester and get away with it for years but it's finally caught up with him uh, there's no way he's going to get out of this justice means Indianola taking uh, responsibility for their officer's actions and paying this young man and his family um, and uh, we know they have uh, insurance and they have tax money and so we're going to come after him full force but, but this man this young man could have died uh, needlessly, uh, so justice will be getting paid civilly, but justice is also holding uh, the officer accountable in the criminal arena. I believe state charges appropriate would be aggravated assault, uh, whether it was an intentional act or a reckless act that covers aggravated assault according to the statutes of Mississippi, and you could face up to six years in prison. If the state refuses to act, we would ask the feds to come in and uh, criminally prosecute him for violating this uh, young man's civil rights. Uh, so we're going to get him one way or the other, and final part of justice is termination. This man has to go. Suspension with pay is akin to a paid vacation for shooting a young man. He came within an inch of losing his life, and that's just not just to be paying him to sit at home or go uh, sip martinis on the Bahamas. That's not right. Right. want to fight tooth and nail. Terminator. Tell us about the, the protections that these pol- that police officers have, though. I mean, what what is protecting him from all the things that you're going after? One thing that could possibly protect them is the issue of qualified immunity. Uh, we don't know how that's going to play in this instance. It seems so clear-cut, uh, but uh, he could allege that he has qualified immunity uh, to the lawsuit that we have filed, and we'll have to fight that battle potentially. Uh, 
there's also something called a probable cause hearing. Uh, my client could go sign a criminal affidavit against uh, this officer, but before he's ever arrested, he's entitled to a circuit judge to hold a probable cause hearing to see if there's probable cause to believe that he committed uh, aggravated assault. Uh, so they have several layers of protection, uh, but in this instance, I, I believe whatever layer um, there is can be overcome because this is a clear-cut instance where this young boy did nothing wrong and this officer did everything wrong. Uh, the young boy did nothing wrong and the officer did everything wrong. Yeah. So it's clear-cut. Well, I tell you, and the, and the kid simply said, I want him fired. I want him to lose yeah. his job. I don't want him to do this again. So... And the reaction, I think, from the police chief was, you know, I, you know we're not doing that. We're going to investigate this first. We'll su- suspend him with pay, but we're not going to jump to conclusions here. I tell you, this this kid, I'm just impressed with the fact that he he communicates very well what's on his mind. And the mother has been uh, very vocal about this as well. And, and we don't often you know, get a chance for a mother to fight for their son um, while he's living. Right. And yeah, I, I let me talk to me about the, the, the community, though. Are you seeing a community outcry uh, uh, as a, as of right now? I mean, are they is a community jumping out to help this family? When we did our first press conference, there was about two thousand people. I mean, two dozen people there, and then the second one, they they had about a dozen supporters. Uh, this is a little, it's a Delta town. A lot of them are poor and impoverished. Uh, they are very afraid to speak up, to speak out. Uh, so they will in the corners or when no one's looking there, tell the family they're supporting them or whatever. But as far as coming out and protesting, a lot of them are uh, very afraid. They feel like they may have some old tickets. The police may come after them for this, for this, and for that. So they are a little afraid to, to be uh, very uh, or this, or uh, as some other uh, people in larger cities and more educated populations would do. Wow! And as the legal community, I mean, I, you know, we've told the listeners before that that you know you're a decorated lawyer. You're not just an attorney on the job. You're immediate past president of the National Bar Association. Um, do you do you find are you getting from your colleagues that? that you're on the right side of this thing and are they as as uh you see that they are as i guess disgusted by this as as the as non-lawyers yeah everyone uh uh seems to be on a dairy inside i was just at the municipal judges conference on the gulf coast uh with judges from all over the uh, state and everyone was asking about the case and they all saying they just can't believe it and they, they hope and know that we're going to win the case just have to go through the process uh but that's the same uh same case with lawyers across the state and across the nation and people from around the world. I mean, uh, we are getting uh, comments from as far away as Australia, France, uh, India, uh, Iran. Everyone is talking about this case and how it makes the United States, uh, particularly Mississippi, and it all look bad that they're not taking it as serious as it should be. I mean, this should have this officer should have been terminated that same morning, that same day. Uh, the interesting thing is something happened similar 10 years ago. I represented a family. Uh, in this instance, the black boy was uh, choked uh, by a officer. Uh, this happened to be a white officer in Indianola. They fired him that same night. They didn't let the sun go down before they fired him. They didn't have to investigate much. They knew it was wrong, said it was excessive force, and they terminated him. Uh, so here you have someone shot. Uh, it happens to be a black officer this time, and they give him the benefit of the doubt in all this due process, uh, allegedly. Uh, but where was uh, Darian Murray's due process when he almost uh, died? 
Yeah, and I've been reading some of the contrasts, you know, of, of people, you know, saying that if this had been a white cop, would things have been different? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, and I guess in your job with representation, you can't really dive into those kind of issues. You kind of have to stay focused on the facts and, yeah. you know, and trying to represent your client. Um, so I, I, I do want to say, man, thank you for for coming on really to talk to us about it. I mean, obviously, we're, we're seeing you on national news and you're you're representing this family uh, in just an, a, an amazing and great way. Uh, I do would love to see these people get justice. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if five million is is the number. I don't know if this guy getting fired. I don't know if all of these things um would be the justice for them. But I wonder from your perspective, somebody who was working all the time in in this area, I mean, do you see the country moving anywhere towards getting a handle on these type of incidences? And I'm adding gun violence to this, right? I mean, our police officers have guns. That's not particularly this situation, but it, yet we are talking about another person who got shot, right? What are your thoughts on just where we're going as a country? I think it's becoming more and more evident that we got to have sensible uh, gun legislation passed sooner than later. Uh, I do believe that this will give us another opportunity to push a Justice and Policing Act. Uh, George Floyd Act never never, uh, passed, but it's still a good model. It may need to be tweaked some. So uh, we have reached out to Vince Evans, who's from Tallahassee or from Florida, uh, to put us in contact with some of the congressmen, my congressman, Thompson out of Mississippi, as well as uh, the Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, and uh, the CBC chair. And we're going to have Mr. Murray, little Mr. Murray, and his mom go to uh, D.C. and talk to these leaders about what he experienced and see if we can get some legislation. Uh, this is something they're interested in doing, and I happen to have the contacts there, and we're going to help them do it. Uh, but it, it definitely needs to be another conversation, and this boy may be the perfect poster child and that he did nothing wrong and everything right. And no one, black, white, yellow, red, can say that he did anything uh, deserving of being shot in the chest. Well, we absolutely. And and listen, uh, I I don't know this police officer. Right. And I don't know his background other than what you've told me and what I've heard on the news. Uh, I I I suspect that he's in the fight for his life. He's got a family as well. But I hope that what comes out of this is, you know, something that makes sure this doesn't happen again. And I'm so, you know, I thank God that this kid is alive. I mean, I can't stop just thinking about, you know, point blank range. This kid is alive. And uh, um, anyway, man, I want to I want to thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing with us and, and wish you and the family Godspeed, man. Oh, thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. All right. Y'all Carlos Moore. Uh, I forgot. I, I, I left out this time. He, y'all know he's a good Kappa man. So y'all y'all give a shout out to those noobs out there uh but a good kappa man and a great lawyer uh and a wonderful father so uh carlos moore thank you for coming on the show man and we'll talk to you real soon listeners stay with us for a short Pittman point right after this you're listening to the sean Pittman show
the town. I like this part right here. Come on. something to it just to encourage you we're gonna take you to church later let's go to all my brothers out there to all my sisters in the struggle till that day Welcome back to the show And now it's time for the Pittman Point, y'all And, you know, for the past few weeks We've heard much about the federal budget Our national debt And consequences that may arise If America defaults on this debt payment, right? Like many of us, you all may be asking, well, what does all this really mean? You know, we hear people talking about it on CNN and on all the national news stations, but what what does it mean that we're trillions of dollars in debt? Uh, Let me try to tell you and break it down to what it means. So the United States budget comprises of, of the spending and revenues of the U.S. federal government, right? The budget is a financial representation of the government's priorities, and it reflects historical debates and competing economic philosophies. So the government primarily spends their money on health care, retirement, and defense fund programs. Every year, the president proposes a budget to Congress uh, with those recommendations. Congress is then tasked with developing a budget for the federal government before voting it uh, by the House of Representatives and the Senate, right? So you got all that. Spending more in any given year than is collected in taxes is known as a budget deficit. It's the same thing in your household. If you spend more money than you bring home, then you are in a budget deficit. The United States has carried debt since its inception. Debts incurred during uh, the American Revolutionary War amounted to $75 million. And between then and now, the U.S. has been debt-free for only two years ever, and that was 1835 to 1836. We weren't here then, (laughs) but that was the only time the United States has not been in debt. So when you hear this conversation every year, What's happening now and the reason you're hearing about it now is the problem is politicians have decided to make this issue uh, a political issue. And 
So it's not so much that this has never happened. This always happens. As I said, there's been only two years that it hasn't happened. So what we see now is just politics at work, y'all. And I think for today's Pittman point, what I would like to urge our elected officials to do is to remember uh, that negotiation is a part of politics. It's something that we've gotten away from, but elected officials on both sides of the aisle can't use the United States economy as hostage during annual negotiations, especially when it deals with minorities and poor people and underrepresented and marginalized communities. We can't do that. We can have honest debates and conversations about our spending priorities. We all get that. But putting the U.S. and global economies at risk is extremely dangerous for us all. Now, with all that said, (laughs) this has been the Sean Pittman Show. Uh, Pay your bills. We'll see you in seven. This is the Sean Pittman Show on 96.1 Jams, Tallahassee's big station. We got this.
gon' shake them thighs and them pretty tickle bitties. So get your racks up, get your math up. I'ma back it up. 